tonight. Uh, the title of this is The Call of Matthew to Follow Jesus. Um, our text is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. The Bible says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I went ahead and read the whole passage, but we're going to focus on that first part. Uh, but before we get into that, just give you a little introduction. We, as we've already uh, uh, alluded to with the songs that we sang, it's the Christmas season. And during this Christmas season, we're reminded of how Jesus was born into this world to a virgin named Mary. Uh, he was uh, laid to uh, uh, put in a manger. I don't know if you know what a manger is, but it's basically a trough that animals eat from. I learned this this week um, that actually the place where he was uh, uh, born was actually a barn where they house the temple uh, sacrifices that were going to be ready for the, for the sacrifices on the altar. Yeah, so, so Jesus was born uh, in a place already ready to be sacrificed for you and I. So his birth was not a spur-of-the-moment decision, but was in the plans of heaven from the very foundations of the world. He left heaven, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, uh, to accomplish his mission to deliver you and I, humanity, from their bondage to sin and the devil and free those who would accept his offer of salvation to enter into and live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. In our text, we see the product of Jesus' mission as he invites a despised tax collector by the name of Matthew to follow after him. And that brings us to our first point. Uh, it's by far the, 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 the largest of the points that I have, um, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. The first point is Jesus called Matthew. Matthew 99, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax uh, office. Now, where did Jesus find Matthew? Matthew was at the tax office. What was the tax office to Matthew? It was his place of business. It's where he worked. It would be like Dow or BASF to some of you or, or, or uh, Bucky's or Walmart or whatever it is that we have a job. That's where Matthew was, and that's where Jesus found Matthew. He was in his office conducting business when Jesus saw him. Now, this is not unusual for Jesus because he went to where the people were. We've already seen how he interacted in Matthew chapter 4 with the fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. We know them as the apostles, but before they were apostles, before they were disciples, they were fishermen. The fish that they were catching, that was their place of business. Their boat was their business. And the Bible says Jesus, Matthew 4, 18 through 20, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were Fisherman, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. What do you do? Oh, I'm a policeman. What do you do? I'm a fireman. What do you do? I'm a fisherman. That's what they did. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Men. So they immediately left their nets 
and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So it's important that we understand they, they weren't, you know, we like to go fishing. People here like to go fishing. But for us, fishing is not a business. Uh, L.F. Holden uh, had a business. His boat was his business. So he would go on a boat, and his livelihood was determined by how well he did in that place of business. So when these people were leaving their nets and they were leaving their boats, they weren't just, hey, you know what, I like to go fishing, but I need to sell my boat. I've got different priorities. That's not what they were doing. They were leaving their profession to pick up a new profession. And it's not a profession, but to follow after the call of God on their life. It'd be like, uh, uh, just kind of as an example, you know, maybe you're, you're working as an operator in Dow. Uh, somewhere along the line, uh, Jesus impacts your life. And somewhere in the midst of that, going to church and getting saved, all of a sudden you begin to feel like Jesus has a different purpose for you. There's a different plan for your life. And, uh, and like in my life, I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. And so I left where I was doing, which was the college to, uh, college to go do something, to go to a different college to learn how to be, uh, to follow after that call that uh, God had on my life. But let's say if you were an operator and Jesus said, I got a call on your life, well, in order to pursue the call, you're going to have to leave your business, leave your profession to pick up a new profession. And that's what Jesus was telling them. So getting back to Matthew, the, the question becomes, why was Jesus at Matthew's place of business? Well, the text doesn't really say, but creatures can speculate, right? So perhaps he had a bill to pay. Do you ever have to pay your registration for your car? Where do you go? You go to the county tax office, right? And you get in line, and you take a number, and you look at the number and realize you have 55 numbers down the road. But you're there to pay your bill. Now, maybe Jesus was there to pay his taxes. We don't know. We don't know what he was doing. But he was doing probably uh, the natural things of life. He was probably doing his business in the office. And while he was conducting his everyday affairs, however, he was also conscious of a more important business, uh, the, the primary business that he was on, and that was to do his father's business. So, whether it be in the tax office, or Jesus was out uh, in the marketplace, or he went to the pool of Bethesda, wherever he was at, he was take, doing everyday life, but he was conscious of the fact that God was also working and he was to be involved in the business of the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Most of the time, if we were honest, we don't seek the kingdom first. We seek our natural things first. And then, if by chance... God hits us over the head where we can't escape it or we happen to see, then we, then we get involved in kingdom business. Jesus was always kingdom business first, even while he was doing the natural things of life. John 5, 19 through 20, Jesus answered them and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Father, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, 
and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So what I want you to notice, a couple things I want you to notice here, is that our text says that while Jesus was doing these everyday things in life, he saw Matthew. Very simple, not a lot to it, or so we think. You know, it's so easy to just interact with people and we see them, but we don't really see them. We physically know that they're doing a service, perhaps. Maybe they're the cash register cashing out our groceries. Maybe they're the waitress that's bringing our food and getting our order. Maybe it's the guy that's working at the mechanic shop, you know, that we're interacting with with our car. We're, we see them because they're doing our service. They're, they're in front of us. We're interacting with them, but we don't really notice them, right? We, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 9, 14, and 15, I, I, I like this passage. It's always hit home to me. It says, there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. And there was found in this city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. So he did a great service for them, but they never really saw him. They accepted what he was doing. They were grateful what he was doing because it benefited them, but they weren't of any benefit to him. In order to be a benefit to somebody, you got to see them. You got to know them. It begins by knowing their name. One of the things that we teach whenever we do altar workers class that really impacted me is don't just pray for a problem. You're praying for a person. What's their name? I don't know. I just went up there to pray for them. I asked them what their problem was. What's their name? You see, you can pray for someone, you can pray for a condition, and if they feel loved, even if the answer doesn't come in that moment, you've still ministered to them. Right? You've connected with them. It's important to do that. And, 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 and don't listen, don't, don't go away thinking, oh, a pastor is saying we've got to do this and we've got to do that. No, I'm talking to myself. I'm just like you. I, I just go and do my stuff, and sometimes I don't pay attention. I mean, I'm, I'm interacting with the people around me, but I'm not really interacting with that individual person, and I need to get better at that. The Bible doesn't say Jesus saw a tax collector. It says he saw a man named Matthew, right? So John 1, 47 through 49, there was another case where Jesus uh, saw a guy, his name was Nathaniel. He saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Or you might have a translation that says, In whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Why? Because Jesus knew him. Right? Like Jesus, we need to see people and recognize them for who they are, not just what they do. 
Now listen, this can go in a negative way as well. That person that, that is going too slow or is, is first in line at the light and they're, they're looking at their phone and 15 seconds have already passed before the light turns, uh, you know, after the light turned green and you're waiting there, you're frustrated, you're honking at them. You, you know what? That's, that's the person that's keeping you from where you want to be. That's not a person that has a name. You know, if you started honking somebody because you're mad at them, you know, because they're, they're, they wasted two seconds of your life, and then all of a sudden you pull up to them and you see it's somebody you go to church with. <gasps> what made the difference? Because you know their name. You know them. And you see, when you know someone, it changes you, but it also changes how, how you interact with them. Amen? So, uh, we need to see people and recognize them for who they are. In Genesis 1, 26, uh, that person in front of us, that person we're interacting with is first of all a person, a human created in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Reminds me of a, of a boy came to his dad and said, Dad, Dad, where did we come from? He said, well, God created man and woman. He said to them, be fruitful and be multiply. And, and that's where humanity came from. We were first created in the image and the likeness of God. And we were all reproduced in his image. And uh, he said, thank you, Dad. And he went and talked to Mom. He said, Mom, where did we come from? And she said, well, we began with a little amoeba. The amoeba evolved and turned into a, uh, an ape-like creature. And then when it turned into an ape-like creature, we evolved from them. And so he goes back to Dad and he said, Dad, Mom says that we came from an ape. He said, well, he's talking about her side of the family. We didn't evolve from apes. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. Well, why is it that people can sometimes act like animals? It's not because they've evolved. It's because they've devolved. It's because they're not living up to who they were created to be because they lost sight of their creator. They lost sight of the one who gave them life and didn't realize that they were created in the image and the likeness of him. While that person in front of us, as we are all of, uh, uh, while that person in front of us, as we are all of us belonging to the human race, was formed from dirt, it's important to remember that person we are interacting with was originally fastened out of dirt into something that was destined to be a work of art. Unfortunately, life often hides these masterpieces underneath the filth and grime of this world. And like Jesus, if we can just see them, we too can be used of God to call them to something greater. And that greater begins with a call to follow after Jesus. We are called to see beyond the exterior. We're called to see beyond the dirt that covers all of our lives to some extent. We are called to call the gold that's hidden inside the dirt out. But you can't do that if you don't see beyond the surface, if you don't see the person, if you don't see the one that God created in the image and the likeness of God. Romans 10 and 14. 
how can they call, I did this in the New Living Translation because uh, I liked what it said uh, better. Let's see, did he do that? Yes. Um, how can they call on him to, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? The translation I usually use, this is without a preacher. But when I use that, then y'all just think, that's what I do. No, it's actually this. Unless someone, and every one of us is a someone, tells them. Amen? So the first thing we see is that we're dealing with people, humans, but that person that we're interacting with also has a unique name. That person is not just a part of a collective, but is an individual with a unique identity and calling. God purposes each and every one of us for something special in this life. We were all created by God on purpose for a purpose. I don't care what your family said. I don't care what your uncle said. I don't care what your, ki- your, your neighbor said. Uh, you were not an accident. You were not a mistake. You were created by God on purpose for a purpose. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What matters is what God thinks. It doesn't mean that your situation lived up to what God purposed and destined for your life. It doesn't mean that you've lived up to what God purposed and destined for your life. It just means that God from the beginning created you on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. And it's not too late. Psalms 139, 13 through 16. For you formed, talking to God, my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my unborn substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So what this is talking about is that God purposed you. He dreamed you before you were ever born. He had a purpose and a destiny for your life, and it's not like, oh, man, I'm creating them so they can be a Judas. No. He didn't create you for that. He created you just like a mother and a father when they're thinking about their children, when they're holding their children in their arms, they're thinking to themselves, you think they'll be a doctor? You think they'll be a lawyer? You think they'll, uh, you know, they'll do this? And they think about all the wonderful things their kids can be. That's what God did with you. Only when God thought about you, his thoughts become our destiny. Whoever we may be, God has called us to accomplish a specific purpose as we turn our focus towards the kingdom of God. Jeremiah 1 and 5, when God revealed himself to Jeremiah, who happened to be a priest, but he was a teenager at the time, and God said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And this is what I purposed for your life. I purposed you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, God didn't reveal it to him until he was like about 17 years old. But before he was ever conceived, God purposed Jeremiah to do something. What is God's purpose for you and I? What is God's purpose for the person that we're interacting with at the restaurant, the person that we're interacting with in Walmart, the person that we're interacting with, you know, at the job or the marketplace or our school or wherever we may be? I want to get that into our heads because that's what Jesus was good at. He saw a crowd, but in this crowd... 
there was a tax collector, but he didn't see the tax collector. He saw a man, and he saw a man named Matthew. So the second thing, second point we have is he called Matthew, and then Matthew followed Jesus. Matthew 9 and 9, Jesus passed on for there saw a man. He said to him, follow me. Matthew arose and followed after Jesus. What was Jesus calling Matthew to? Was he simply calling him to become aware of his need for God and simply invite God into his life? Or was he calling Matthew to something more? Well, Matthew himself actually tells us a little bit later in his gospel, in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, he wrote this gospel, and this is what he put in there. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Today, in our Christian culture, we often minimize the call of Jesus into just simply a call to conversion. Now, I'm not minimizing conversion. We don't want to reduce the importance of conversion, but we also don't want to diminish what Jesus was really calling people to. He didn't simply call people to get converted. No, he was calling people to discipleship. He was calling people to follow after him, to leave their past life behind. It doesn't mean you have to leave your business, but leave your past life behind and take up a new life, which is to follow after him. Now, in following after him, he might send you back to your place of business. We're not saying it's not about where you're at. It's about my purpose, my aim, my focus in life is no longer just me and having an enjoyable time and just dealing with the affairs of life, but now my focus and my purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, he didn't simply call people to just get converted, to get born again. No, he was calling people to discipleship. Discipleship is more than a simple prayer to invite Christ into your life. It's important. Getting saved is of huge importance. In fact, until you get saved, it's the most important thing, right? Jesus said to him, uh, to Nicodemus, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, another translation says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But you don't dance around at the door. You enter the kingdom of God to experience the kingdom of God, right? But in modern Christian culture, it seems we've made conversion and the conversion experience the do-all and the end-all of the Christian life. For Jesus, conversion was the beginning process of the call to follow after him. It was the beginning of the road called discipleship. Am I making sense to you? Right? In other words, you, you start on this journey by getting saved, but you don't stay where you're at. You walk along. Jesus says, uh, uh, narrow is the way that leads to life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He making me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You don't just stay where you're at. You follow after him. Dr. Leon Van Ruin, you know who he is. He's preached here several times. Uh, wrote a book, last book he wrote called Beautiful Feet. I was reading that, uh, a little quote he had in here. The difference between salvation and discipleship is being born again as a free gift. Being a disciple costs you everything. 
Salvation is the gift of God. It's freely received by faith and is offered to all men and women through the grace of God. It is undeserved, and everything that was required to deliver us from the penalty of sin was paid in full through the death through the death of Jesus. On the other hand, while our salvation is a gift, becoming a disciple of Jesus will require everything. Matthew responded to that call to follow after Jesus. He responded to that call to discipleship. How can I say that? Because like Peter and Andrew, James and John, our text says he arose and followed him. That means he left his place of business. That means he left his profession. He left his career, and he took another path, the path that followed after Jesus. He took the way of discipleship. Now, please don't misunderstand me for some of you that are new. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your place of service. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your occupation. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're going to follow after Jesus. For some of us, it may mean that we're going to leave our occupation. It may mean that we're going to leave some things behind. I've, I've shared this uh, many times, but when I first got saved, um, I used to play tennis. I used to play soccer. At the time, I was playing soccer. Uh, I had already graduated from uh, high school, and I was in uh, junior college, and so I started playing soccer with a men's team. And I don't think I was good. I was just young and fast, and I was playing with a bunch of older men, so they thought I was pretty good. <laughs> but I wasn't really that good. But they thought I was valuable because I could run uh, uh, pretty good. So anyway, I got saved, and uh, just like here, but at that particular time, they had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services. So you had three different services that you can go to. Now, I went to all of them, right? But guess when uh, Sunday, guess what happened on Sunday mornings? It always happened on Sunday mornings. That's when soccer games were. So, you know, they wanted me to play soccer. I played a little while for soccer, and then I was praying one day. And the Lord didn't say, thus shall you do. He never said that. God just, he doesn't work that way, right? He just kind of said, uh, Rick, uh, and I don't remember how it all went, but I just felt like I, 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 he wanted me to be in Sunday morning service. Now, I'm very thankful at the time that I didn't counsel with anybody because if I had counseled with people, I would imagine that they would have said, it's okay to play soccer. There's nothing wrong with soccer. And there's nothing wrong with soccer. You can play soccer. There's nothing wrong with that. And they would have said, well, why don't you just be faithful on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and then you can play soccer on Sunday morning, right? Nothing wrong with that. You're right. There's nothing wrong with that, except it's not what Jesus wanted me to do, right? Doesn't the Bible say every servant is accountable to his own master? You can do some things that I can't. I can do some things that you can't. All I know is, for me, the Lord wanted me to go to church on Sunday mornings. So, the, the, uh, uh, the as simple-minded man that I am, I quit soccer. <laughs> Wasn't that bright, according to everybody else. But the Lord, I believe, was pleased with my decision. I had to leave what I was doing to follow after Jesus. I turned my soccer cleats in. They weren't real happy with me. They weren't mad at me, but they weren't real happy. Oh, you don't have to do that. You go to church this, go to church that. Don't be a fanatic. Don't be whatever the case may be. You know, you got to, but no, that's not what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I turned in my soccer cleats. They were my cleats. I didn't give them to them. They'd be like, thank you. No, I didn't do that. Basically, I put my soccer cleats up and I left soccer behind and I started following after the path that Jesus had for me. And sometimes it would require 
maybe something like that. You know, in today's society, nobody wants to give up anything. Right? Oh, we're involved in this. We're involved in this. You know, and God likes me to do that and all that kind of stuff. We always convince ourselves that everything we do is good with God. Right? We're not saying that things aren't good, but what we're saying is, in our mind, God would never require me to give anything up. God would never require me to cause my kids to give anything up. Sometimes, guess what? If you're the father and the Lord's calling you to do something, your kids are going with you. Well, no, my kids don't want to go, so I can't go. Hello, who's the parent? Well, they're going to get mad. Let them get mad. We're supposed to train them up in the ways of God. How can we train them up if they're training us? Right? Who's really... Sometimes when you're interacting with your dog, uh, you think you're training him, but if you really look back, you might think, hey, I think he's training me. Every time he does this, I give him a treat. That don't seem right. Who's who? Who's the one? Who's the boss? Right? So we have to follow after him. And as parents, we have to lead our families in that direction. As the father, we have to lead, you know, and we have to do whatever is right. Well, my wife don't want to do it then you go do it yourself. You're the head of the household. Well, she don't want to go to church. Well, then she can stay home while you go to church. Well, she ain't going to like that. Well, get used to it. Right? You're the head of the house. You're the spiritual leader. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm probably going to get some emails this week. You, that's what it means to lead. That's what it means to be responsible. That's what it means to go first. I'm going. I want you to come with me, but if you're not going to come with me and doing the right thing, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to. I'm just going to go to church. Now, whether you want, well, I want to go to the beach. See you later. I'm going to church. I want to go to the soccer game. Go do what you want to do. I'm going to church. Well, what, you, you don't expect me to go. I do expect you to go, but I can't make you. If you want to go to the soccer game, that's fine. But I know where I need to be. I need to be in church. I promise you, if you'll take that stand, eventually your family will follow you. Because that's what Jesus told the jailer. He said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. Why? Because he's the spiritual leader of the house. I'm getting off on a tangent here. I got on the rabbit trail. I need to get back. I'm, I'm, I'm meddling a little bit. So anyway, so uh, uh, Matthew arose and followed him. He left his career, took another path, and that path followed after Jesus. He took the way of discipleship. And that brings me to my final point. Matthew's friends followed Matthew to Jesus. Now listen, this is important, right? Let's read this. It happened as Jesus sat at the table of the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. I had meant to put the, uh, another uh, uh, parallel passage here, but uh, the house that they were eating in was Matthew's. In another gospel, he's also called Levi. And it says he was at Levi's house. Levi is Matthew, right? What well, was his name, Matthew or Levi? How many names you got? My first name's Rick. My second name's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jaime. My third name's Elgaro. Some people call me Hey You. Some people call me all sorts of things. We got several different names. He had several different names. So he was, Jesus was now at Matthew's house. And guess who was at Matthew's house? Many tax collectors 
and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. We won't read the rest of that, but I just want you to see that. So what I want you to see is that while Matthew was now following after Jesus, others were following Matthew. Who were these tax collectors that were at Matthew's house? The people that he associated with. The people that he hung out with. Who else would hang out with a despised tax collector except another despised tax collector? Who do soccer players hang out with? People on their team. Who do basketball players hang out with? People on their team, right? Who do tax collectors hang out with? The people on their team. In this case, tax collectors and sinners. So Matthew changing his ways, following after Jesus. And as he followed after Jesus, others followed Matthew. And they ended up at a house where Jesus was. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in one of his letters in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Another way of saying that is follow me just as I also follow after Christ. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was all in, sold out to Jesus. Now, you've got to realize that he was totally against Jesus. He was, he was like, this guy's a false messiah. He's a false Christ. He's an antichrist, which that's what it means, a false Christ. And, and so he was persecuting the followers of Christ, and he was imprisoning them and even killing some of them. And he had an encounter with Christ, and he turned his life around. And when he turned his life around, he was all in. He was sold out to Jesus. And as a result, he had no qualms in telling other people to imitate his way of life, to follow him as he followed after God. As Matthew followed after the Lord, all those who were around him, all his friends, co-workers, and acquaintances took notice of his life, and they followed him to Jesus. I'm not saying they all got saved but they were there when Jesus was there. Why? Because they followed Matthew, and where Matthew was, that's where Jesus was. Reminded me of a time uh, when I first got saved. Um, Let's see, I I wasn't a bad person. Um, I happened to be, I I guess I was, in my mind, I was very shy. You know, I didn't really interact with anybody. I didn't realize that I had a little bit of notoriety because I'd won district for my school, I didn't realize that until I went to Anna's prom, uh, uh, not prom, her uh, reunion, 40, was it, how many years? 30th reunion, and she said, will you go with me? I said, I ain't going to the reunion. I don't want to go there. I, said, I don't like being around those kind of things or whatever. She said, please, all right, I'll go. I don't know anybody. I'm just going to be in the corner, you know, drinking orange juice or whatever, you know, and you could, Anna's going to be the social buddy. I get to see everybody, oh, floating along, talking to everybody, all that kind of stuff. We get there. We walk in there, and when I walk in, this isn't my class. This is her class. She was two years behind me. We walk in, and all the first thing, is that Rick Hilgero? <laughs> it's like, is that Rick? Hey, Rick Hill. And next thing you know, I'm like the center of attention in this place. I don't want to be the center of attention. Anna wants to be the center of attention. But I guess I started realizing I had a little bit of, at that particular time, I had a little bit of, I guess, of a reputation because I was a, a good tennis player. So when I got saved, I didn't ever think I had a lot of influence. But when I got saved, I was all in for Jesus. And I started going to church. Some of, the, some of my, my, my brothers started coming to church. My other brothers started coming. Now, my brothers, they had a lot of influence, but they were like the tax collectors and the sinners. <laughs> they were bad. They were, I mean, if there was any problems, it was my brother, right? So anyway, 
we did something in our house. Uh, uh, we did something like a rock and roll seminar, invited somebody over, and they started talking about that particular time, the evils of rock and roll, and, you know, why you need to get saved. Then we were just right in my living room, and we had people all from the neighborhood. They were coming in, and they were in my house. They got saved. But my point is the same. is all of a sudden, my brothers got saved. My friends got saved. And they, they either got saved or they never came around again. But they got exposed to Jesus. My brother's friends got saved. My sister got saved. Her sister got, her friends got saved. You know, and it's like the whole neighborhood met Jesus because I met Jesus. Right? And I'm not an evangelist. I'm not. And I'm not in any way trying to say that I did this great thing. All I'm saying is this. I followed Jesus and they followed me. That's what happened with Matthew. He followed after Jesus, and they followed him. Again, today, so many people, well, I should say this, uh, he was sold out to follow after God, and as he did that, others followed after him. But in today's society, so many people will commit to saying a sinner's prayer, but I want to ask you a question. If other people were following after you, where would they end up? If people followed after you in your quest to follow after God, where would they end up? Would they end up at a meal where Jesus was the guest of honor at your house? Or would they end up somewhere that was not different than if they had never heard of Jesus? Would they end up at church or would they end up at a bar? Would they end up hearing the words of Jesus or would they end up hearing uh, your justifications of why it's not necessary to change your life and go to church to be a Christian? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Would they end up being a better person or would they end up doing things that even the world knows is wrong? In Matthew's case, those people that were watching him ended up at a meal in his house where they heard Jesus, who is the Word of God, themselves. The Bible says about Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, and there's a passage in John 4 and 4 where Jesus uh, was leaving Jerusalem, and He had to go back to His place in Galilee, but in order to get to Galilee, they usually went around the place called Samaria because Samaria was like, oh, just, it was a difficult place, and Jews, good Jews, professing Jews didn't go through there. But He said in John 4 and 4, He needed to go through Samaria. When he got there, there was a woman uh, who ended up being a, not necessarily the most honorable woman, you know what I mean, that was at the well drawing water during the middle of the day. Most people don't go during the middle of the day because that's when it's hottest, but that's when nobody else was around. Nobody probably wanted her around whenever they were there. So anyway, she went over there, and while she was there, Jesus began to talk to her, and he began to explain to her that uh, he was the Messiah. It says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He was interacting with this woman. In John 4, 28 through 30, and then we'll jump down to 39 through 41, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I'm sure that's what Matthew did, right? And they went out of the city, and they came to him. And if you would jump down to verse 39, and all that's up there for you. It says, uh, and many of the Samaritans of the city 
believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own words. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. In other words, we've made a connection with him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Just like the tax collectors and sinners were following after Matthew, now the city was following this woman who was following after Jesus. And when they got to where Jesus was, they, in Matthew's case, it was a place in Matthew's house where he was having a meal and Jesus was the invited guest and Jesus spoke the word of God to the people and when he spoke the word of God to the people, I would imagine that a great many of those people got saved as well. So how do we conclude this? We, the people of God who've been saved, born again, have a mandate from God to reach the lost people of this world. Just as someone reached out to us, we have the privilege and the responsibility to reach out to others. How do we do that? We do so in the same way that Jesus did. As we follow after God ourselves and as we go about the everyday routines of, daily, of our daily lives, we are to keep our spiritual eyes open to truly see those who are before us and connect with them, perhaps enter into a conversation with them that will hopefully lead them to a place at the table with Jesus. There's a scripture, very familiar scripture, most of us know it. It says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, I'm going to say it this way, right? If I was from Louisiana, I would say a more better way <laughs> of understanding this commission that is in line with what we've been talking about in our text is if we were to translate the verse this way. And actually, the meaning is probably more in line with if we were translated this way. Not go, therefore, and make disciples, but as you go, as I go where? To the tax office, to your place of business, as you go to the shopping, to the mall, to the uh, grocery store, as you go to school, as you go wherever you go, as you go, be aware of the fact that you have not just your daily business, but you're also about your father's business. And the people that are in front of you are your father's business. It just might be that that person that you are uh, uh, either interacting with may have uh, God's plan, may be something more than just for you to get your hamburger. It might be that person who is... Uh, taking your money and paying for that person is a human being in the eyes of God that has a name. God knows her name. God knows his name. And God wants us to know their name so that like Jesus did with Matthew, we can see the man, we can see the woman, we can interact with them and hopefully lead them to Jesus. Amen? Amen.